So this barrel of monkeys is a reminder for me not to monkey around. That's a bad dad pun. I'm blown away. I, uh, I have done Next Gen for 20 years, and I don't know if I've ever seen a set like this. Most elaborate thing I ever saw, we had a hot knife and a bunch of styrofoam and built the front of a castle. But this is amazing. I might just jump in that monkey barrel in just a minute. But uh, I'm so excited to be here today, and if you have a Bible with you, device, if you're joining us online, I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. On any given day, we are confronted with all kinds of signs. In fact, one time I remember going into a restroom somewhere, and, and I walked in, there was a sign over the sink that gave very descriptive details about how to wash your hands. I mean, I'm talking about, he said, turn on the faucet, get a dime-sized amount of soap in your hands, scrub your hands for 30, I don't remember all the details, but I'm just going, and then it said, turn the water off. I'm going, like, man, I need that at my house. Like, over light switches, turn me off. I thought about getting, a, a, like, a, a little chime that when someone walked by, it'd say, turn the lights off. Every time somebody goes down the hallway, you know. But we see signs everywhere. In fact, maybe you have seen one like this if you go to the beach or you've been out to a public park in a beach area about rip current. A rip current is a strong, narrow current flow that goes out from the beach through a surf zone, but it presents a hazard. And I don't know if you've ever encountered something like that, but when you go to the beach, if you get near the lifeguard stand or you're, you're on the pier, usually you'll see a sign and it will describe what that looks like. So let me just ask you in all honesty, how many have you ever stopped to read a sign like this? Not very many. Okay, thank you, Caleb. A few of you have read the sign, and some of you know maybe what to do if you're ever at the beach and you get caught in a rip current. That rip current usually, if you think about it, waves are pushing in. That water has, I mean, it comes back, but it doesn't really go straight back. It kind of has to funnel out, and that's the rip current. But guys, Water is a powerful nature, a force of nature. If you've been watching the news, you've been seeing flooding, I believe, in Texas, where just this week I saw a video where a guy was stuck in his car. The water was almost up to the bottom of his window, and he was trying to tell the guy in the boat, trying to get him out of the car, I can get out of this. The car wasn't going anywhere. That car was about to move. Because if you've ever been in a rip current, you know that it doesn't take much to grab a hold of you and to move it. In fact, this kind of hit home for me because I have some former students of mine, some friends, who when they were in middle school, they were swimming with their dad. And they wanted to swim out to a sandbar. So there was a, a little deep pocket of water. And they thought, I oh, will just swim across this little pocket and get out to the sandbar. We'll be able to stand up. Now, let me ask you, how many of you know what you're supposed to do if you get caught in a rip current? Okay, about a fourth of you. Well, I'm going to tell the rest of you, because this is your warning. If you get caught in a rip current and you're trying to swim to shore and you're going nowhere, you swim parallel to the shore, the water will empty out, and then you'll be back in a place where you can swim back to shore. But all of a sudden, my friends found themselves not able to do that. In fact, they said where we were headed... Where we were going, we're paddling, and we're going backwards. And the dad began to get tired. And he presented a dangerous situation. All of a sudden, that moment of fun 
became a crisis moment. Now, the good news is they all made it. It was all good. But they had to ride it out. But in that moment, sometimes we forget what it is we're supposed to do. We forget the directions. In 2023, already this year, 36 people have lost their lives by drowning in a rip current. Now, there may have been other factors involved. Maybe, maybe they, they got caught up in something that was on the bottom. Maybe they got trapped. Maybe, maybe they were already not healthy enough to make that swim. But 36 people have died already this year. And you're not hearing that on the news. You're hearing shark bites right now. There's a lot of shark bites going on. But still, it presents a danger. In fact, many of you have heard warnings like lightning in your area. Or maybe you're driving down the road and you see road construction slow down. Or the wet floor sign. Or, you know, the sign, it always cracks me up. Bridge ices before winter. Does that mean the bridge thinks it's better than the road? No, it just means because there's nothing under the bridge, the wind is blowing, and so ice will form on the bridge before it'll form on the road. I have a friend of mine who left one, one morning to go to work, and the warning was black ice. And unfortunately, he hit that black ice, but fortunately was near a field, and his truck went off in that field spinning around and around and around. You see, we see these warnings, and for whatever reason, we think, nah, this isn't for me. Or, no, I can handle myself. Like, you think you can literally stand against that current of water and it not affect you or carry you away. Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's, 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 sometimes it's just that we're just not listening. We don't hear clearly, but whatever the reason, we don't heed the warning. And you know what's worse? When you do something, like you don't heed a warning and you go do it anyway, and you come home and maybe it's your mom or your grandma or some friend goes, well, I told you not to do that. How many of you ever heard that one before? Well, you know, you fell on, you fell in, you tripped in the, in the, in the living room because you left your clothes laying there and your mom goes, well, I told you to pick those up. Or maybe you, you know, you're just like, you're out in the woods and they told you, hey, don't, don't, don't jump over that ditch and you jump the ditch and well, you should have been more careful. I mean, you get these, these kind of shaming statements, but there is a degree of truth, especially for those of us who love to risk, to push the limits, that you crave adrenaline in the extremes, having fun at any cost. But here's the problem. When it's life and death, and that warning is there to keep you alive, you only get one chance at it. Because when you and I don't heed the warnings and we put our life on the line and we lose our life, that's it. You only get that one shot. So let me ask you a question. With all the signs that we have around us trying to keep us safe, why is it that we would not heed a warning about our eternity and our soul? I will be worried. Like, we'll go out there and maybe we see the you know, uh, caution, uh, wet floor, it would be like, oh, I need to, to, to be careful the way I walk. Why? Because if I fall, I might break something. Why is that work? Because I don't want to hurt. <laughs> I don't like broken bones. How many of you have broken a bone? About 90% of you? I broke my collarbone because I didn't heed the warning. <laughs> my grandmother said, don't play on that hill. And my cousin and I decided to play this little game called kick the dinosaur. 
And what we did was this, there was this, this hill beside my granny's house that was covered with, with, with uh, pine needles. Pine needles are slippery. And so what we were doing is before the hill, this was the, this was the game, is we put the dinosaur on the stump where the pine tree used to be, and we were running and kicking the dinosaur and then seeing who could slide the farthest down the hill. So I go and I run, I'm in fourth grade, and I go to kick the dinosaur, I miss the dinosaur, my leg keeps going up in the air, and I came down right on my shoulder, snapped my collarbone, because I didn't heed the warning. Now we're in chapter two of Hebrews. And the writer has already established the superiority of Christ. That Christ, the creator, the word of God, the one through whom God brought things into existence, the radiance of his glory, the the character of his nature, the revelation of God, the last word has been revealed. And this last word is greater than the angels. And if he's greater than the angels, then the message that Jesus brought is greater than the, the message that the angels brought. And if you think back to the book of Mark, which really highlights this more than I think any other gospel, what message did Jesus preach? Y'all know what Jesus preached? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It was a message of repentance that would then be bore out when Christ died on the cross to take our sin away and was raised again that he might give us life. It's the gospel. Like we talk a lot about studying the word of God, but how many of us in this room have studied the word of God to know the gospel? Specifically, I'm not talking about reading Jeremiah 29, 11, where you say, I know the plans I have that God has for me, declares the Lord. I love that, and that's a soapbox for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a context for that. And when you see the context in light of the gospel, the good news of Christ, it should change your life and my life. And if the message of this book is about perseverance, about hanging in there and staying faithful to the Lord, we need to know what the gospel is. And so today, my challenge to you as we, as we begin to, to dig into this first part of chapter 2 is to listen to this first warning, the first of five. And it can be summarized in two words. Pay attention. So pay attention to my message today. I'm just kidding. Pay attention to this message, this warning. And so if you would, I want to ask you and invite you to stand with me as we read the first uh, two, uh, first four verses of this book, of this chapter, excuse me. It says, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. So listen to this. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape? That's rhetorical. You can't. How will we escape if we neglect? That word there means to not care. Let me reread it that way. How will we we escape if we don't care about so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. So the author of this book is not an apostle, but someone who has sat under the apostles, who saw Christ, 
God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Let's pray. Father, as we spend the next few moments in this text, I pray you speak loudly to us that we would take it, that we would heed it, and that we would listen in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I see here is I see three things. I see a plea, I see a warning, and then I see a basis for those two things. As he gets to the end of chapter 1, he says about the angels, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to break your theological bubble right now. When you leave this world, you do not get angel wings. You were born a human. You were made a human. You will not become an angel. I know Jimmy Stewart's daughter made it clear that when a bell rings. No, that's from a movie. There's nothing theological about that. We are humans and angels are angels. But they are ministering to us. In fact, Stephen, right before he is stoned, is challenging the religious elite of Jerusalem. And he says, to which of you did our prophets not speak about persecution? Those, they killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you now have become. Why? Because they would not listen. And then he says, you, verse 53, also received the law as ordained by angels, but you did not keep it. So here's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, and Stephen's looking at him with his finger pointed saying, you guys claim to adhere to what angels have brought to you, and you don't even keep that. The righteous one has come, and you're failing to listen to him too. In your study guide at the top is a great quote by F.F. F. Bruce. It says, as God has no greater messenger than his son, then he has no further message beyond the gospel. Did you get that? There's no greater messenger than the son, so therefore there's no greater message than the gospel. And you and I are sitting here today, and we have a lot of voices in our ear. Media and politics and, and entertainment, family, friends, all kinds of voices speaking. In fact, we listen to social media and we ignore the gospel. We listen to our friends and forget the gospel. We even listen and worry about what strangers think about us. And we don't even consider the gospel. And the truth is the gospel is the message that Jesus has brought to you and me. So folks, there is no room for hindsight evaluation about this warning. You don't get a second chance. When you leave this world, you will stand before a holy God. And the only way that you will pass over that judgment is if you know Jesus Christ and have received his gospel. In January 2006, in an evaluation over New Orleans... It was determined that there were warnings about the levees in New Orleans. Now, New Orleans is special to me. During my degree program, I got to go, you know, very often down to New Orleans in a post-hurricane wrecked city. They were warned that a Category 4 storm, if it hit New Orleans, that those levees would not hold. And on August 29th, 
as Katrina made landfall as a Cat 3 storm with 140-mile-an-hour winds at 6 o'clock in the morning, a section of the 17th Street levee gave way in addition to 52 other levees. 80% of the city flooded. In fact, it's, it's really cool. The seminary, New Orleans Seminary, sits... If you can think about it, all of New Orleans is below sea level, but the, the seminary sits on the Gentilly Plain, which is a little bit higher than anything else, and only the backside of the campus received damage. The seminary did not. But unfortunately, because a warning was dismissed, 1,577 people lost their lives. And this hit home for me when I started seminary as I was sitting in a car uh, we dropped off a rental car and was heading back to the gate and this young lady was driving us and, and the other guy that was with me began to ask her, were you here for the hurricanes? And she said, I, I was, but then I moved to Mississippi and I just came back. And she got real quiet and, and we asked her, like, what was that like for you? She said, I saw the body of my dead uncle floating in the water. And this young woman, I mean, stoically recalling the damage because a warning was not heeded. In your study guide, listen, the first thing is this plea. This author is pleading, pay attention to the message to avoid drifting away. Now, I love the beach, but the Atlantic Ocean has a current. And when I was a kid, we would, we would go out in front of our hotel and start playing. I love body surfing. In fact, I think I could, I'll, I'll go to the test with anybody in here to see if I can body surf better than you. Except now that I have this pot belly, now I beach myself like a whale. <laughs> and sometimes it hurts. But we would start playing, and after about 30 minutes, because we weren't paying attention, we'd be three motels down because the current was pulling us. You see, that's what the, the author is saying here. Fact, follow this in, in the Scripture. For this reason... What reason? Because Jesus is higher than angels. His message is better than angels. For that reason, it is necessary, or we must. It's an emphatic call. It's necessary for us to pay attention, and not just pay attention, pay much more attention. There's an adjective there pointing directionally to this message. To what? To the hearing. That's what it reads in the text. To the hearing. The hearing of what? The message of the gospel. Why? So that, in order that, you will not drift away. When we pay attention, we won't drift away. Well, how, how do I know if I'm drifting away? How do I know if I've started this slow fade? Because if you've ever heard the term slow fade, you, you don't really notice it. It's, it's incremental. It happens over a period of time. But number one, there's a voice in your life louder than God's voice. I know that I'm slipping away when there's another voice speaking louder than God's voice. And part of that is because I've stepped away from this. I do not have a desire or a commitment to read and study the Word of God. If you don't have a quiet time, if you don't have a, a reading schedule, start this week. Oh, wait a minute. I gave you a reading schedule for the summer. You've got the tools, but you've got to carve out the time. Why? So that you will not drift away. 
You, here's another, another way you know that you're, that you're drifting away. You've lost a sense of awe in Christ. Like it's no longer something that's beyond us. He's become common. Maybe, here's another reason, maybe you've slipped back into a pattern of sin, habitual sin, and you're, you're not even trying to resist it. You just don't care. You're more concerned with image over your character. Like you're concerned about the external. Another way you know you're slipping away is that you no longer have purpose. There's nothing in your life driving you to something higher than who you are. Or maybe, like I just said a minute ago, you just don't care. Like somebody talks about the gospel and you're just like, you're just indifferent. You don't care. There's nothing life-giving about the gospel of Christ. And in all of those cases, I'm compelling you to pay attention. Because if we don't pay attention to the gospel, if I don't ask the question, what is the gospel? How do I know the gospel? Then I don't know what my life is founded upon. 1 Corinthians 15 starts explaining the gospel that Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, came and he put on human form. And for your sins and mine, he died on a cross to take our sin away. We couldn't cover it. We can't dismiss it. It had to be atoned for, paid for, and he redeemed you and I back. But then three days later, according to the scripture, he was raised back from the dead. Well, why is that important? Because the wages of sin is death. Christ beat death. And he was raised back immortal and eternal as he always has been. And then Corinthians goes on to say that it was, it was bore witness. They saw this. They saw the risen Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the gospel. And my challenge to you, your homework for this first point is do some study this week and learn the gospel. If you're saved in this room, when I taught algebra, the best way I knew a student knew the concepts was to get up and teach their classmates. For you and me, we need to know what the gospel is. Because if it's the thing that defines my life, I should at least basically be able to explain it in some way, some form. And if you're not careful, listen to me, if you're not careful, you'll start hearing some gospels that are not gospels. You need to know the voices that are feeding into your head. You need to question any Christian author you read. Or any, anything you listen to on social media, just because somebody puts Christian in front of their name doesn't mean they're an expert on the gospel. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's probably not gospel. If it's focused on you and me, it's probably not the gospel. You need to know the gospel. That way we, we, can, we can know, just like I said in this first one, that we need to pay attention to the message. But the second point is this. The warning, here's the warning. You need to heed the message to avoid the just penalty. Now, listen, I, I know that some, in some of these situations where people died from a rip current, they may have known the warning. There may have been other, other things going on. And let me just remind you, a tragedy is a tragedy. But when we're talking about eternity, when we're talking about a person's soul, and we're talking about salvation, we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that they know that gospel. We need to heed this warning. And this warning said this in verse number three. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How many of you have just gotten over being saved? 
I mean, you know, you go back, you're like, well, you know, I, 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 was, I was a seven-year-old kid, and, and I went down to an altar, but, but it doesn't have anything for your life. It has no meaning. It has no, nothing today. Well, well, guys, God wants to refresh that in you. He wants, I mean, I, somebody asked me the other day, what, what kind of football fan are you? I'm like, I'm really not. But what if I were to, to step into to my Georgia Tech roots and start wearing, instead of this uh, Pac-Man coat, I wore a Georgia Tech coat. Billy would pay attention to me, right, Billy? You know, we, we, I'd have my Georgia Tech, and I could, I could start getting some season tickets and, and start getting engaged and watching the games again. I mean, I'd be on fire for Georgia Tech again. Guys, maybe the, the issue here is that you've just grown cold to what the gospel did in your life. Because he says this, listen in verse number two. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, or, or basically you say it proved reliable. It came from angels, right? So it came from the Lord. They, they recognized that. If that's the case, then every transgression, which is an offense against God or disobedience, which literally means unwilling to hear. How many of you have, have had kids in your life? <laughs> Is there anything more annoying when, when you're talking to a kid and they just blow you off or don't listen to you? This is a willful choice that someone's making. I'm just not going to hear it anymore. We live in a culture and a society where we are immoral to call out immorality. The new morality is to be immoral. Do you all agree with that? that? That if I'm trying to walk a moral path, I'm labeled a bigot or intolerant because I've decided, no, these are my boundaries. And these boundaries, I believe, are set by the Word of God. And, but I'm called, uh, you know, all kinds of different pressured names because I've decided, no, this is it. This is, this is the box. I'm not going to let all these things come into that. Unwilling to listen. I mean, that's tough. You and I have had all kinds of situations in our life where we're talking to our child or our kid and say, look, I need you to listen to me with your eyes because their eyes are dancing all around because they don't want to hear you. And it's the same thing for us. We need to listen because here was this message from the angel and it said that they received a worthwhile penalty. Can I give you a practical, common sense truth? You could choose to sin, but you will suffer for it. Let me prove it. You could say, I don't need to brush my teeth twice a day until you get that cavity. You can say, I, don't really, I, I really probably need to stop eating those little Debbies for breakfast until your cholesterol's off the chart. I could say, I'll get to that leaky faucet until your pipe busts. Or you could say, well, you know, I need to do something about those slick tires until you, until you run off the road. Or that's what we say about our nappy, bushy hair until Mother's Day. Some of y'all just got that. I had a friend of mine who got his hair cut twice a year on his mom's birthday and Mother's Day. That was it. Truth is, sin will find you out. And if you're a Christian, there is no more miserable place to be than living in sin and claiming to have the gospel. Moses was warning the tribes of Reuben and Gad as they were going into the promised land because they decided to stay on the east side and not go into actual the land of Canaan. And Moses said, there's going to come a time where we're going to need you. You need to send your soldiers. And he warns them and he says, but if you do not do so, 
Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and your sin will find you out. And that was in, in reference to just coming and supporting their brothers. What other kind of sins do we take and put ourselves in? So do we think that just because I may ignore or dismiss the truth of God that I'll somehow be okay? Do I think sometimes, somehow I can just put it off to another day? Or will I be, it says, how will we escape? This is central to the entire passage if I neglect, which means literally no care, that I have no care, so great a salvation. A great salvation that cost Christ his life for your sin and mine to not care, to be apathetic or unemotional. In fact, there's a parable Jesus tells that, that really describes this word well. It's the same word in the Greek in these two, two passages. In Matthew 22, verses 1 through 6, it says, Jesus spoke to them in this parable saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He gave through a party. And he sent out the slaves to call all of those who had been invited to the wedding feast. So they had already been invited. They knew it was coming. And they were unwilling to come. And he sent other slaves out saying, tell those that had been invited, behold, the dinner's ready. I've killed the livestock. They're butchered. They're cooked. It's ready to go. Come on and eat. But they paid no attention because what they heard was not reinforced by an action. But then listen to what it says they did. Remember, this is a party. They went their way. One to their farm, one to another business, and the rest, they seized the slaves, mistreated, and killed them. They, they, they went after the messenger rather than the message. The message was the invitation to come. So how will you escape if you simply ignore the warning? For what? Because you know better? Because you're worried about what other people think? Because you have something better to do? Because it's inconvenient? Because you're invincible or because you can't afford it? I'm saying you can't not afford it. If you neglect so great a salvation by not paying attention, there is no other hope for you. There is nothing. If you're here today and you don't know Christ or you have drifted away, don't leave this place without coming up and talking to one of our pastors or someone and make it right with the Lord. Don't leave here insecure. Don't leave here confused. As Jesus said, come and, and repent. Turn away from your life and surrender it to him. Because here's, look at this. When you look at chapter 2, if you look down at verse number 9, you hear this idea about how Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a while, but for this reason, because of the suffering of death that was crowned with glory and honor. If a gospel is focused on you and me, it neglects the glory and the honor of Christ. Jesus himself said, now I have been glorified by my Father, right? By being on the cross. You see, we are standing here as Christ suffered. He didn't just hurt a little bit. He died. No one in this room has died that I know of. Maybe some of you have come close to death. But I can tell you it was not a good experience for you, was it? It was painful. It was horrifi horrifying. But Christ suffered to perfect the plan of salvation. And in doing so, he can sanctify us, purify us, purge out 
the sin that, that so easily entangles us and set us apart for a purpose that he has for you and for me. But if I don't get the gospel right, I can't get that part right. But then if you go down into chapter 2 into verse 14, he tasted death for us so that we would not be subjected to the slavery to death. Now check this out. I have a theory, and you can agree or disagree with me, but I believe a lot of the things we do every day is because we're afraid to die. Like, I don't really connect my hunger pains to death, but if I don't eat, I will die. We are inundated with workouts and diets and all of these things to help us stay healthy the rest of our life. We have plastic surgeries and all kinds of different things to make us look like we're not on our way to death. But ladies and gentlemen, every day that we breathe, we're one step closer to eternity. And I believe a lot of the things that motivates us, the reason you make money is so that you can eat so that you won't die. My theory is we're afraid to die. And I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid of the way I'm going to die, but I'm not afraid to go. You know why? Because I know Christ. I know who has my life in his hands, and I know where my eternity will be. And what about you today? What about you? Have you neglected this? What are the signs that you've neglected things? Well, you have that slow fade, loss of conviction. You're leaving, living legalistically. In other words, you are afraid. You're trying to spiritualize things, but you're doing so legalistically. You're trying to make yourself look better than somebody else. But you've missed that gospel component that God loves you, and now he's commanding us to love one another. We've lost that reverence and awe. We have lost an inability to give grace. Like we just, we're, we're, we're just living pouty, unhappy lives. Guys, there's no other reason today than to be happy and have joy than to know Jesus Christ has saved you. And here's the other one. We continue in sin. Like, we, we've been called to repent of the sin, but then we go back and live in the same thing and just say, well, God saved me. I'll get to heaven someday. That is the lowest quality of life to live as a Christian. Romans 6, 1 and 2 is clear. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? His name? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? God has given us a new direction. And here's the basis for the plea and the warning. Embrace the message confirmed by the Lord. Embrace the message confirmed by the Lord. In other words, the author is saying, look, it came through the Lord, like the gospel came through Christ. It was confirmed by those who saw and witnessed his death and resurrection. And then their ministry was confirmed through signs and omens and different miracles and gifts as the Spirit willed to confirm what they were preaching. Peter said it like this, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The message that's from the Lord, the very word of God given to his followers, his eyewitnesses, so that that message could be confirmed in the working of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite passages is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. It says this, and when, Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I've been here almost six months, and you guys know on any given Sunday, I misspeak, and I'm a fallible human being. Right? If you're here because you're looking for superiority of speech, you, you're listening to the wrong person. 
I'm just telling you, and Paul said the same thing. He said, verse 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I came to you with weakness and fear and trembling. Why? The same reason, like, I'm up here today. This scares me to death because some of you are going to leave here today not knowing Jesus, destined to go to hell. And I don't want that. It scares me that I get to handle the word of God in a way to compel you to accept Christ. And I want that. I want that for you. I want that for your kids, and I want that for your family. He said, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so when we talk about owning faith, this is what we're talking about, that we're owning the gospel. It needs to be that important. And we see this assurance that the message is true. Because he, remember, it said, pay attention, don't neglect. It's kind of like I remember many times going fishing in the Chattahoochee River. Sometimes I did it barefoot, sometimes I didn't. But when you're standing in the current of a river trying to cast a, a fishing rod, you need something to stand on. You need a firm footing. And so I would remember trying to feel around, and nothing hurts worse than to stub your toe on a river rock because you can't see it coming. But then to find that footing so that you can stand against that current and then be able to cast the rod. It's the same thing for you and me today. Our confidence must be in Christ because what Jesus has spoken is better than anything. What Jesus has spoken is truer than anything. Why? Because Jesus is more than sufficient. And in that, it ought to drive us to want to worship him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because the final word in Christ is salvation. The final word in Christ is salvation. So what do we do? What do we do with this message? Well, number one, I'm challenging you. Study the gospel. Study the gospel. Become a student of the gospel. But here's the second thing. You need to examine your audio. What voices are you listening to on a regular basis? And let me just challenge you. If you're listening to something that's contrary to the gospel on a regular basis, it's putting that in your mind and your heart, and that's what will come out. So when trouble comes, when you know you start to drift, you don't have anything to hold on to except worldly philosophies. And the th final one is this. Challenged you months ago to, to take a five card and start praying and ministering to five people. Does it scare you enough about eternity that it scares you for somebody else that may be lost and going to hell? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Have I, if, if I've lost the conviction about the gospel in my life, I really don't care about the gospel in anybody else's life, do I? May God send revival in our hearts that we'll be concerned about where someone is. And in fact, I want to show you this last slide because I want to make sure you know what we're doing this summer. We've given you a reading schedule to study along with in Hebrews. And last week, if you got on the church app, you saw some discussion questions that got you ready for the message today. So some of you could have gotten up here and preached the same message because you read the same stuff, you studied the same stuff, and we've, we've engineered it that way. And so today, it should already have posted are the questions and the reading for next week. Now, we won't have this sermon next week, but in two weeks, you'll have two sets of studies. I challenge you to get with your family or your friends or somebody, do this together. You're like, well, I don't have that app. My, I have a dumb phone. Well, it's okay because at the bottom, it says ebenezer.churchcenter.com. That's where you can go it's where you can go and still get the same questions. It's under the discussion tab. And so today, I want to challenge you. 
if we're serious about the gospel and seeing all this stuff on stage, I want to invite you right now. And if you can't come up to the front, that's okay. You can stay in your seat. But I want to invite everybody that's able and willing to come to the front right now. And let's pray for our Bible school kids. We prayed for our volunteers a little while ago. But we want to pray. We want to pray that God will fill this place every day this week. That the gospel would be clear. That the kids will recognize their need for salvation. That he will remove obstacles. And that he'll draw others to come. Because listen, I don't want just the kids. I want their families. If we can get their families, then we can influence the home. And it's that important. This is life and death. We want these kids to pay attention. We want them to heed the warning and not neglect so great a salvation. We want it to be so centered in our life that any unsatisfactory thing we feel is because we crave to see someone reborn again in Christ. And so, Father, as we have gathered in this altar today, Lord, maybe the faces of those kids that were standing on this stage today will come to our memory. And some of them have yet to come to that point where they recognize that they are a sinner, that need, and how the gospel solves that problem, how that gospel comes in and changes their life, how that gospel points to a holy and a righteous God who loved us enough to give us a means and a way that we wouldn't have to die in our sin but we can be saved from our sin, saved from the penalty, that someday when they leave this world, maybe 80 years from now, that God, they can stand before you, covered with the blood of Jesus, and pass into your heaven. God, we thank you so much, and as we're praying, God, we ask that you would fill this place with your spirit, that you would mold their hearts and make them ready for the gospel, that that gospel would be clear, and that God, when that invitation is given this week, that souls would be saved and kids baptized as they're dedicating their lives to follow Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.